Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon, deep into our 29th year here together after the news at 4 until 5. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning, where you always determine our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com. Or go there at your convenience, download, and listen to previous broadcasts. You can also go to the free app SoundCloud and listen to previous broadcasts as well. And then this Thursday, after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a terrific idea to call or text at the beginning of the broadcast when I will then have ample opportunity to do my best to answer your question. And I do have something I want to talk about today that's a bit unusual. If you're a regular listener, you know that from time to time, I do what we call an evergreen show, where my friend Kenny Rommeyer at News Radio KLBJ and I discuss, and he asks me questions that I have received over the years, over the decades, and feel that they are evergreen. They're ones that just simply don't go away. They're, they're always timely. And it gives me the opportunity to answer at some length. So Kenny came up with the idea of me telling you that we're working on one of these, and we're not going to do it next week or the week after. But if you have ideas where you would like me to answer those types of questions, then I recommend, <clears throat> pardon me, that you email Kenny. That's Kenny, K-E-N-N-Y, at 590-KLBJ, 590-KLBJ.com. We have all of our lines available. As you know, I take today's calls first, and then secondly, today's texts, and then any remaining texts from previous weeks, which I do not have. So here we are, bloviation time at News Radio KLBJ. Uh, I was looking today, as you might imagine, in preparation for the broadcast every Saturday. I read the Wall Street Journal and I read Barron's Magazine. And I follow the financial markets. I've noticed that the ag bond, uh, I'm going to interrupt myself. Terrific. Just scare people with, uh, <laughs> with full aviation. And a text comes in. That's terrific. terrific. 512-836-0590. Carl, does the total market index U.S., such as VTI, that's an exchange-traded fund, Vanguard Total Market, really give true exposure to small and mid-cap stocks. The returns seem to mirror the S&P 500. Thank you for the great show. You're welcome. Well, that's a thoughtful question, and so let me unpack that. Vanguard has been, as far as I know, always been a champion of market capitalization when you talk about indexes. So for people who don't follow these things all the time, what they do is, let's say they take the Standard & Poor 500. They take each stock and they multiply its price times the number of shares outstanding. And that resulting product is called the market capitalization. 
So you put the ones with the biggest market or largest market capitalization at the top and rank them all the way down to 500. So what happens is when groups of stocks do better and better, like they're doing this year with, say, the tech stocks and particularly the AI stocks, they become bigger and bigger portions of the index. And the Vanguard total stock market, like the Vanguard S&P 500 ETF, the OO, both of those are market capitalization. Does the Vanguard total stock market have, does it get exposure to small and mid-cap? Yes, the answer is. But the fact is, they have a very small impact because their market capitalization is so small. So if you are a person who wants to invest passively in exchange-traded funds and you want to make sure that you get exposure to small-cap or mid-cap stocks, then you may want to move away from the Vanguard total stock market and look at, say, for example, and everyone knows I don't make recommendations here on Money Talk, but what you might consider is looking at the Russell indexes because they break down uh, the Russell 2000, which are smaller cap stocks. They also break down by growth and value. Also, MSCI, that's MSCI, has a group of indexes as well. And I would go explore those if you want to have more exposure to small cap or mid cap stocks, which have certainly on the small cap arena underperformed large cap, you may then want to move away from VTI or VOO. It's a great question. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Tom, you're on the air. How may I help? Oh, hi, Kyle. Hi. Uh, I'd like to ask you about, um, my question is, what investments would you put into a low volatility portfolio? Sure. So if you're going to have a low volatility portfolio, you want to decide if you're talking about just absolute, meaning it doesn't go up or down very much, or low volatility relative to the asset class. So let me be more specific. If you're going to have bonds in your portfolio because you want both the current income and some protection in a falling interest rate environment, you're going to get greater volatility the greater the duration of the bond or bond funds. So let me be specific and show you what can go wrong. So last year, the the widely followed bond index, which is the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index, had a very bad year, and it was down about as I recall off the top of my head, about 13%. But if you had owned, say, a fund that specialized in long-term bonds, long-term treasuries, you could have been down 20% or even more. Another example, if you uh, own high-yield bond funds and we get into a recession, a declining, what would naturally happen is the stock market would decline but so, based on history, would high-yield bonds because they, those companies are below investment grade and they get more risk. So if I'm looking for low volatility, then and I, I'm using bonds as an example, then what I'm going to want to do is I'm going to buy short and intermediate-term bond funds. If I if I'm really want to get away from any volatility, then I'm, I'm going to cl- eliminate equities or stocks, and I'm going to eliminate fixed income or bonds, and then I'm going to look at a ladder of certificates of deposit, where fortunately for people who are savers, we now have 
decent returns on laddering CDs or laddering treasuries. For example, yesterday, the one-year treasury bill was priced to yield about 5.3%, the two-year treasury note about 4.8%. So you could take your money and divide it, let's say, into four groups and buy, depending on, on your comfort level, 25% each in one, two, three, and four-year CDs or treasuries, or you could buy exchange-traded funds that own short or intermediate treasuries. Now, if you buy the CDs and you don't need the income, what will happen every year is one, let's just say use an easy number, 100,000. Every year, $25,000 comes due, and you can take that 25,000 plus the accumulated interest and buy a new four-year CD. And that way you can keep your returns, based on history, higher than, higher than in, a, say, a savings account. Eventually, rates will come down. So this is not going to provide you forever with good income or good yield, but it'll be very low volatility. So you're going to have to decide how much risk can I take. If, if I can take some risk, I think you're better off in owning two bond, two bond funds. They're both investment grade not high yield. One has shorter maturities. The other has intermediate maturities. They don't have to be treasuries or agencies, but they ought to be at least investment grade. That would be a low volatility opportunity because sometime, probably in the next year, the Federal Reserve is going to lower interest rates and pretty soon returns on CDs are going to go down. Returns on money market funds are going to go down, but the returns on those bonds are going to go up because they're going to have appreciation. So that's how I would think about that if I were in your shoes, Tom. All right. That's what I needed, Call. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. It's time for me to take a, take a break. It's a perfect time for you to call. We have all of our lines available. Call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here this afternoon for about another 40 minutes or so. It's a great time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. And let me remind you that if you have some topics and ideas for our next Evergreen show, I recommend that you then send those to Kenny, my friend Kenny Rahmeyer. It's Kenny, K-E-N-N-Y, at 590-590-KLBJ.com. Give me a call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Greetings from Iowa State Fair. Ha, <laughs> ha. Where your opinion is just as important as some of these GOP candidates running around here. <laughs> Don't get too close to the milk cat. What is it? The uh, Oh, it's the cow made out of cheese. There you go. Can you talk about the equity risk premium, ERP, of stock investments over risk-free government bonds or fixed income options? I'm thinking about jumping back into some intermediate-term bond funds soon with a four- to seven-year duration. 
Steve and Lake Trap. Oh, thanks. I'll listen to your response on the podcast. I have some butter sculptures to see here at the fair. Okay, Steve. Thank you. Yeah. So that's a really thoughtful question. So if you take, if you assume that the price earnings ratio of the stock market is 20, I'm not saying it is, but this is a way to think about because I can do it in my head. That means the earnings yield is one over 20 or five. Now, if the Fed funds rate is five and a quarter to 550, and the earnings yield on the S&P 500, if it were five, you can make the case that stocks are not very attractive. Why? Because to Steve's point, you should earn, there are two premiums that you should earn when as an investor. Premiums meaning extra return over the risk-free return. One is the liquidity premium, and the other one is the equity risk premium. Liquidity premium comes when you have an investment that you can't get up on Monday morning and sell. Because you can't do that, you should have a higher return. Whether you're in these newly popular interval funds where you may be able to get out once a quarter, or you own your own investment real estate, you ought to have a higher return for the lack of liquidity. That's why in the public markets, say stocks and bonds, there are returns available, but they should be less than the returns of investments that are illiquid. The equity risk premium is that there should be some amount of return over and above the fixed income, particularly the 10-year return, the fixed income return, because that is the which you're being compensated for extra risk. I happen to think that the intermediate-term bond funds, and I'm talking about investment grade, so they would own U.S. Treasuries agencies, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and investment grade corporates, are probably more interesting today than they have been in a long time. And so I think the fact that there's not much spread between what you're getting in risk-free money and what you're, and what you're getting in equities right now, depending on how you measure that, I think it does make sense. I'm, long-term listeners know that I always own equities because I can't predict the future. And I'm not going to switch back and forth between stocks and bonds and cash. I am going to, however, have an asset allocation that meets my goals and objectives regarding risk and return. And whereas over the years, as we've had falling interest rates, it's been difficult to argue that you ought to increase your bond allocation. Now that we see <clears throat> the Fed funds rate go from essentially zero to five and a quarter, 550, and bonds follow that, does that get to be interesting? I think I think that it does. So I happen to agree with you, Steve, and don't eat too much of those fri- that fried food up there either. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I don't mean to make this a bond show this afternoon, but I think you have to realize when you own bonds that that <laughs> that doesn't mean that prices don't fluctuate. We have had a backup in interest rates and a decline in bond returns. I remember a few weeks ago when the uh, Bloomberg aggregate uh, was about a two and a quarter, two point three, and I checked the today, and the year-to-date return has dropped to zero point eight three. That's because rates have gone up and and returns have come I beg your pardon market prices have come down so I I track the egg using 
the iShares ETF symbol AGG. I also always look at the largest bond fund, which is the Vanguard Total Bond Market, which is a passive fund, BND, is 0.90. And you compare that, for example, with the, I say, an actively managed short-term fund that I look at is 3.61. So you ask yourself, wait a minute, how is that that the short-term bond fund has a greater return than the, than the egg. And that's because we have this inverted yield curve that I talked about earlier, where yesterday the T-bill, the, the one-year bill was priced at a 536, the two-year note at a 487. So we've had some backup in yields. And frankly, that's just the way it goes for bond investors. That doesn't mean you shouldn't own them. Now let's see. It looks like I've got a long, it says... This may be too small of a question for your show, but I have some questions. My husband and I have started a nonprofit organization. We do outreach for the homeless, provide food, water, emergency needs, and harm reduction supplies. The thing that sets out outreach apart from all others it programs in Austin is that we record on video both uh, outreach and allow people both from homeless currently and previously currently in addiction. I wonder what the question is. Homeless, okay. Able to own transitional. I need to start with either a grant or a loan. Okay, let me go for, forward. I'm sorry to keep you, the listener, waiting, but I'm having a hard time reading this. Be, okay, is, is, and is nonprofit really the way to go or an LLC? Do you have any advice for us where we go and where we can talk to? Sure I do, and, and congratulations on your efforts. Uh, I suspect the 501c3, uh, which is the, uh, is, is the uh, tax benefit for donors, would be better than an LLC because of what I just said. When you're out raising money for your cause and people can, depending on their tax situation, prospectively get a tax deduction, then that's a better deal if you do an LLC, people give, may or may not give you money, but they're not going to get any tax benefits. So I think that's a fairly straightforward. Now you think, well, the LLC would, would help shield me from some liability, and the answer is it probably would, although I'm certainly not an attorney. But I think the shield is there if you have a separate 501c3. So what I would do is I would do some, you know, you can do some Googling about what do you have to do to open a 501c3? 501c3. What kind of paperwork do you have to do? I know you're going to have to file probably a, a tax return called a 990. And the way I would, what I would do is I would go to a certified public accountant and ask her what she would recommend. But just off the top of my head, I think a 501c3 would be preferable to an LLC. Thanks for your text and good luck. It's time for me to take a break. We're at the bottom of the hour. Call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're now in our second half hour today. When you have a question, call or text 
836-0590. You also may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of previous shows. You may also go to the free app SoundCloud and download previous broadcasts without the commercial messages. This Thursday, after this news at 6 p.m., here on News Radio KLBJ, we will rebroadcast today's show. I might also add that here in the next few weeks or months, Kenny Rahman and I, are, and I are going to do one of our very periodic and infrequent evergreen shows where I'm going to have an opportunity by not taking calls or texts to expand a little bit more on some important and I think perennial or evergreen financial and investment planning questions. So if you'd like to suggest topics for that broadcast, send Kenny an email. That's Kenny, K-E-N-N-Y, at 590-KLBJ.com. We have all our lines available. Call or text 512-836-0590. I was looking at that long uh, text that I was uh, doing my best to answer at the end of the last segment, and there was something else in there where the person who started a nonprofit said, but in order to get, they want to have transitional homes, we need to start with either a grant or a loan, right? I don't think you start with a loan. First of all, I don't know any commercial lender who would loan on this pipe because you don't have the collateral, you need a down payment, you don't have a source of operating revenues. I think a grant's going to be a much wiser course to go. Now, there are banks have participate in something called the Community Reinvestment Act, CRA, and they do have mandates to spend a certain amount of money uh, on the kinds of projects you're talking about. That's a very competitive market. I have some friends who started a nonprofit to provide water wells in Africa. They started it in their Sunday school class, and it's become quite successful. But the way in which they did it was they, they understood that they were centers of influence. You're a center of influence. Everybody is. You have friends and relatives. And they said, okay, we, we have this Sunday school class, and we've identified this need, and what we would like to do is partner with people in Africa and help fund wells. Boy, that's a big idea. That's a wonderful idea. It changes people's lives. And they started talking to people in their Sunday school class, and they raised $5,000, and they began to put the infrastructure together. Today, they have their own 501c3. They have, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people have been impacted by it because they've been doing it so productively and so long, and they started from scratch. They didn't go to you know, the Rockefeller Foundation or the Ford Foundation or the Gates Foundation where they would have to compete and nobody would know who they were. They used their own connections. So they saw themselves as centers of influence. It didn't mean they were wealthy people. It just meant that they had friends who wanted to do the best for what they understood how passionate these people were and how important the cause was. So going for a grant, yes, but I would say just even better is to get people in who have a who have a what what's best for you and who share your views to help give you give you a head start. So I hope that's helpful. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I was writing this down before the broadcast. 
Uh, we were, and it seems like for some reason today we have a fair amount of commentary about interest rates and, and, and bonds. Uh, there's a strategy that is, I think, appealing if you are considering putting bonds into your portfolio. Let's see. Oh, good. A message. Hang on. Let's just see if we've... Uh, we can get this. Oh, it's just thanking me for my comments. You're, you're very welcome. So it's called a barbell approach, where you, instead of buying just uh, one fund, uh, you have different maturities. The classic barbell would be a short-term fund and a long-term fund, so that if rates were to rise, the long-term fund would go down, but the short-term fund would have higher yields because it owns shorter-term securities, and they're maturing into a rising rate environment. So that's the classic barbell. The And that's worked. Does that work? The answer is yes. Uh, did it work uh, for about 40 years? Uh, yes. What worked even better was just owning long-term bonds because we had this huge tailwind of falling interest rates. I don't see that that's going to happen from here. So I like, do I like the barbell? Yes, but I would modify it, I guess maybe because I'm more conservative and a scaredy cat. I would do a barbell, but I would do a short term and then I would do an intermediate term. Now to dig down into the weeds a little bit, you have to think about credit quality. Okay. Do you want a government only, a treasury only, what Morningstar calls a core, what Morningstar calls a core plus? These are all, these have a lot to do with not just the maturity or even duration of the portfolio, has also to do with the quality of the underlying bonds. Based on history in a bull market, the lower quality bonds in the bull market for stocks, lower quality bonds tend to do better because people are optimistic about the economy. But I think you can do a barbell in what I would call core bonds, what Morningstar calls core bonds, where they can buy government agencies, they can buy security backs, uh, asset backed securities, governments, and investment grade corporates. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Jose, you're on the air. How may I help? Hey, sir. Yeah, I've got a question. Um, we are, well, my wife is going to get, like, I guess, an inheritance from her grandmother. She um, wants to get, Jose, I'm sorry, your wife, your, start, start over again, please. Your wife wants to get what? Uh, an inheritance. Okay. From an annuity from her grandmother. Yes. Um, when we talked to them, they said that only a percent of it was like the at seventy thousand. They said twenty thousand of it was taxed. Okay. So when we receive it, they're going to take out taxes for the twenty thousand. Okay. But I didn't know. On the other end, if the fifty thousand ends up coming back into our income, and we're going to have to pay taxes on it. Sure. So there's several kinds of annuities, and they got fancy terms, but um, the so-called non-qualified means that her grandmother put $50,000 in of her own money. It did not come out of her IRA. She had the money, wrote a check, put 50000 in. So she put in what we call after-tax dollars. Then it grew by uh, $20,000. And now that she's passed away, you, your uh, wife can liquidate the annuity 
in Shulk pay income tax. So that $20,000 of growth taxes had never been paid okay. on that. And that 20000 as you have said, will be subject to tax. Because the way you described it, this sounds like a non-qualified annuity where grandmother put her own after-tax dollars in. She, then, in that case, your wife will not be taxed on the 50000 only on the 20000 gain. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, because she put, yeah, I'm pretty sure she put in after tax dollars. Yeah, if she put in after tax then dollars, then that's, then that's a good thing, uh, frankly, uh, because that means that she's only going to pay income tax on the 20000 Yeah. Okay. 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 And then what would be a good fund to be able to, like, a good route to actually just take the money? We need it. We really want to spend it for us. We want to, like, keep it aside. And let it grow a little bit, yeah. just to see if, just in case we need to take care of our parents, yeah. and use it for that. Yeah. And we don't want to tie off the money where for long periods of right. time. Right. But we do want it to see if we can see some growth. Yeah. So what I would do uh, is, first of all, I, th that's a great idea. And so you want what's called liquidity, meaning you don't want to tie it up where you can't get your hands on it. But even when you want to get the money, you're not going to want all the money at one time. So then that means that you want to invest in, you got three choices in financial assets. You can put it in cash, which would be a certificate of deposit or a money market fund. A money market fund today pays about 5%. And you can go Google these money market funds. You can go to big companies like Fidelity and Vanguard and Schwab. They have money market funds. You have absolute day-to-day -day liquidity. And right now they pay a nice interest rate. That goes up and down, however, Jose. And if interest rates go down next year or after that, which I think is likely, the returns will go down. But and you will you will pay taxes on the interest. The next choice would be bond funds. They still have day-to-day -day liquidity, and you could buy a bond fund. You would not get a lot of extra yield today, but when rates go down, that bond fund is going to be a better return for you than the money market fund. Will it go up and down in value? The answer is yes, but not a lot because don't, you don't want to buy a fund that's called a high-yield fund or a strategic income fund. You want an investment-grade, intermediate-term bond fund. And I know it sounds like you're in your car, but you can listen to today's podcast and write these things down. Your third choice is to buy stock funds. This is where you'll have the greatest return, and therefore you'll have the greatest risk, and you can buy a simple a cheap, tax-efficient index fund, again, from the big purveyors like Vanguard and uh, Fidelity and Schwab. Now, there's an intermediate approach where you could do both. You could say, okay, let's take this 70000 minus the tax liability, and let's put, it, let's put half of it in, an inter, in, in a bond fund, and let's put one in, um, in, in, the, in a stock fund. And if, so if the stock market does well over the next two or three years, which is likely based on history, you'll have some return. But periodically, the stock market will go down. But those investment-grade bond funds, again, based on history, are likely to hold value 
value or they may even appreciate. So that's how I would look at it. I would decide, do I want to keep it in cash, have liquidity, get a good return now, but it's going to go down over time? Do I want to put it in bonds, which are a little riskier than cash, but not as much as the stock market? Or do I want to do a blend of stock of a stock index fund like the S&P 500 and an investment-grade bond fund? Those are the choices you would have your ability to get your hands on any and all of the money any business day. Is, um, you said with the bond funds, a little bit more riskier than the money market. Yeah, abs- yes, absolutely. Are there, is there a greater return with those, but still yeah. relatively safe? Yes, the answer is yes. You, you, you spoke, you stated it exactly. Over time, there's going to be a greater return because cash returns are going to go down. We just don't know when. And when bond returns are going to go up when cash returns go down. So you're going to get some additional return over the next three, four, five years, in my opinion, and you'll still have liquidity. So if you can live with that volatility, which is, you know, five, six percent up and down, it's not 20 percent or 30 percent down, then I think that makes some sense. Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, that helps a whole lot. I appreciate your your. Inside. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. It's time for us to take a break. You're running out of time if you'd like to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening. We're here for a few more minutes. 512-836-0590. Carl, how will the enormous U.S. national debt impact the stock market in the next 20 years? Uh, Badly. Uh, It will impact uh, investors because there will be something called the crowding out function as the service on the national debt grows year after year, then the ability to, uh, for corporations to borrow money will become more expensive. It's reasonable to assume that global investors will ask for a higher return for buying our treasuries. That will put downward pressure on the treasuries, would likely put downward pressure on the dollar, uh, and it would be uh, it would be bad for the bond market because that would imply higher interest rates. Uh, it would be bad for the stock market uh, because it would cause businesses to have to borrow, I beg your pardon, have to pay more for borrowing money. Uh, and as the marketplace comes to realize that the cost of doing business is higher, then they're going to demand uh, greater returns to offset that. So I think across the board uh that the as you point out enormous u.s national debt uh, will impact everything uh is will it impact the stock market of course it will but it doesn't it doesn't stop there so uh you and i both know that uh this is not a secret uh and that everybody else uh (laughs) in the world knows it We're just remarkably lucky that the dollar is the global reserve currency. It doesn't mean it's going to be the reserve currency forever, 
but it allows uh, our elected officials of both parties uh, to not have to do anything about it of any consequence. So it's a negative, and there's simply no way around it. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. I think I've got another one coming in here. Let's see. Okay. Hi, Carl. It, would it be a good idea to use my second required minimum distribution this year with last year's to pay off my mortgage? Uh, let's just see here. I'm having a little problem with my mouse. My mortgage, six and a half years remaining at 3.375 in payments. Um, boy, that's an interesting question. You know, if we thought you were going to be making more uh, in your IRA on an after-tax basis is one question. Uh, you've got a short time left, so it's possible that a lot of the uh, payments you're making are going to principal so that there may not be much of a tax benefit and if you have let if you don't need if you don't have deductions above the standard deduction there's no tax benefit to the 3.375 and you're going to have to take the required minimum distributions over time anyway so my sense is that if I were in your shoes just thinking about thinking that out loud yes I think that I would probably go ahead and uh, and take care of and, and do that. Okay, you're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. This is a bit of an awkward text, but I'm going to answer it. It says, Carl, do you take clients in your office? And the answer is yes. I think longtime listeners know I don't talk about my practice. I don't promote my practice. The answer is I do that. You're listening to Money Talk. We've got about another five minutes. And if you are interested, 512-836-0590. I read this, we're talking about the future. I read this piece. I thought it was uh, not not surprising, but sobering. And it says, a new analysis puts a dollar figure on the cuts Americans could see to Social Security benefits in 2033, 10 years from now, when analysts expect payroll taxes that flow into the program won't be enough to cover monthly payments to retirees. Many Americans have heard about the potential for benefits to be cut a decade from now if no changes are made to the program. To put the impact in more real-world terms and prod policymakers to act sooner, a new analysis by the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget calculated the potential hit to annual benefits in dollar terms. It estimates that a typical newly retired dual income couple would see a drop of about $17,400, amounting to roughly $1,450 a month. Couples who earn more in their careers on average could see monthly could see roughly $23,000 in benefit cuts. And couples with lower earnings would see about $10,600 less, representing a larger potential drop as a share of their income. The potential benefit cuts stem from a projection that by 2033, the amount of payroll taxes flowing into Social Security's Old Age and Survivors Insurance Trust Fund will be less than what's needed to pay full benefits. Social Security is a pay-as-you-go system, 
I've got a caller. I'm going to take it. I don't know how much time I'm going to have. We're going to try it. Chalmas, you're on the air. How may I help? Yeah, Carl, I wanted to find out uh, why or what's the best way to reinvest RMD funds that are withdrawn. I understand they cannot be put in a Roth RIA. That's correct. You have to take the RMD. If you want to put more money into a Roth, you can take additional money out of your IRA. That's called a conversion. You pay taxes on that, just like you do your required minimum distribution. You can put that in a Roth. You don't have to work to do a conversion. You just simply can't put new money in a Roth unless you have income uh, to cover that contribution. So if you're going to take the RMD, the, 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 the following choices. If you have any philanthropic intent, if you regularly give money to your church or synagogue or to your alma mater or, or to the Girl Scouts or the Boy Scouts or something like that, you can give that directly. It's called a qualified charitable distribution. And you don't need, if you don't need the money to live on, you want to do that, do some good, then there'll be no taxes because you'll get no tax deduction for giving it and you'll pay no taxes for taking the money out. If, on the other hand, you don't want to do that, then there's no legitimate thing you can do except pay the taxes on the required minimum distribution. And then the decision is, if you don't need the money to live on, then what do you do with that? Obviously, if you're a regular listener, you know what I'm going to say is you're much better off putting it in a putting it in a balanced portfolio of a stock index fund and a bond and some bond funds and leave it alone and every year add to it with your required minimum distribution. So give it away in, or invest some money. And if you want to do a Roth conversion, take more money out. Those are basically your choices, sir. Very good. Thank you so much. I just wanted to try to understand why the law prevents you from yes. putting in a Roth since yeah, you pay the taxes. Yeah. They, they become, well, frankly, you don't have to be a cynic to know that they want the, <laughs> the view is that you haven't paid taxes on that money. And so they want their cut of it and they're not going to let you put it in, not going to let you put it in a Roth. They, that's just a set. You're right. That's just sadly the case. So sorry, but good luck. Thanks for calling. <laughs> You're listening to Money Talk, and we have had a lot of fun this afternoon. I want to thank Garrett for his good work as producer. I want to thank you for listening and remind you that next Saturday after the news at 4, be sure and tune in to Money Talk.